Black Girl and Ohm promotes holistic wellness and inner beauty for women of color. We encourage self-care, self-love, and self-empowerment for communities of color. This is Lauren Ash. And Dion Ivory, thank you so much for listening. Welcome. This is the Black Girl and Ohm expansion tour, our third stop. Super excited. At every stop along the tour... We have a conversation about, in one way, shape, or form, what it means to create space to expand. In DC, we really centered on unconditional love and support. In Chicago, last week, we focused on the power of creativity, community, and intuition. And today, we're focusing on a lot of related ideas around the body, pleasure, intimacy, and healing therein. And I'm super honored to be in conversation with Erica Chidi Cohen. So let's please welcome her. Thank you for having me. So I'm going to sing Erica's praises because she's phenomenal. So I'm literally going to read a little bit about her for you all, for those of y'all who don't know. (laughs) Erica is an educator and author, doula, and co-founder and CEO of Loom, which provides empowered health education from periods to parenting. I also want to make it clear that Loom is local. So for those of you who are interested in any of the things we're talking about today, Erica and her phenomenal team are such a resource for all of us and the space is also the most gorgeous place I've ever been in my entire life besides the wing of course right (laughs) Erica is passionate about helping people cultivate body literacy and sex positivity by giving them the tools to advocate for their reproductive health and well-being she has guided thousands of people in their transition from pregnancy to parenthood in her work as an educator doula and author of the best-selling book nurture a modern guide to pregnancy birth and early motherhood beyond women healthcare Erica works to educate on pleasure, relationships, vulnerability, and self-care by providing an empowered, shame-free perspective. So there's so much more that I could share, um, but I'll stop there and share more personally that I have been blessed by Erica and her work. About two years ago, um, I hosted my first ever Black Girl Home Team Retreat. Shantae was there. <laughs> hey, Shantae. And we were blessed with the opportunity to sit with Erica and hear and learn more about our cycles, you know, as people with periods in terms of how we can be leaning into rest or how we can be leaning into action depending on what time of the month it is and our cycles and I learned more in that I think 45 minutes because we were running late and you were like I got 45 minutes now and I was like no but I learned more in that 45 minutes about my body and particularly around my cycle and my period than ever before and so I say that to really emphasize that today I believe will be very rich and a gift because she is a rich gift <laughs> and she has so much wisdom so thank you again Erica for being here. Thank you for having me. I think I'm going to take the rich gift thing and like really put that into my Put that life. in your bio. <laughs> Hashtag rich gift. Yes. And then everything comes Because yes. <laughs> it's true. There is no lie. There is no lie. So I want to start with zooming out about the expansion tour covering topics that relate to what it means to step into our fullest, ripest, most embodied version of X, right? And we all have a different thing that we're working on. You all, again, brought different intentions to attending today. And so I want to honor that. So with the work that you do in terms of empowering more of us to have more mindfulness around sharpening different tools and cultivating various practices that relate to body literacy and empowerment within our bodies. What are some of your best practices? You know, this morning we talked and honed in during our meditation practice around 
what is the quality of my relationship with my body and myself right now? And then we deepen into a consideration of then what can I start to give myself and focus on more within my body, right? If you're, if you're noticing that the quality isn't where you'd like it to be and releasing judgment as much as possible around that, then stepping into greater love, more empowerment. So what are your... Like, how do you encourage us to do that? Well, you know, it's a really great question, and I'll answer it in a couple of different parts, but I think probably the first thing to bring up is that for black women, as much as we are able to just keep going and get things done and show up for ourselves, our communities, our loved ones, our baseline is stress, right? Just like being in this body, like just getting gas at a gas station or asking for the bill at a restaurant. These very normal experiences for people that are not black women that they wouldn't necessarily consider stressful just have this undercurrent of stress for us. Like, will this person be kind to me? You just don't know, you know? And over time, you kind of metabolize that anxiety. So you don't even really feel it on the day to day, but it's right there. And sometimes some of us will feel that anxiety and that kind of daily intensity pull away when you're in nature or you take a bath or you get in the shower. So all of that in which to say, thinking about understanding your relationship with your body, trying to figure out how to take care of yourself, but also releasing judgment around it. I think it's just important to recognize that even if you feel like everything is excellent in your life, and I'm sure very few of us do, we are up against this constant kind of stress component. And so for me, I really am always taking kind of a gentle inventory of just when I'm feeling kind of out of whack. I think what's been interesting, especially 2019, (laughs) for anyone who's listening to this, really didn't come to play. It really just came to like take names and keep it moving. Um, And so I feel like, you know, so I feel like what's been interesting is really understanding and and maybe some of you might recognize this, for me, I notice that when I'm actually feeling low or low vibrational, maybe for a better word, I actually make myself super busy. So it's a very interesting thing where I think most people, when they think about depression or anxiety, there's a lot of like inertia, I can't get out of bed, you know, you're under a dark cloud. But I think, I can really only speak for myself, but as a black woman, first generation Nigerian American, entrepreneur, I definitely exercise my low vibrations through external busyness. And so I think looking at my calendar, when I notice there's like 10 things in one week on top of my general work, I'm like, how are you feeling? Like, really, how are you feeling? And typically, if I do a deeper inventory, not that great. So I think that that's a body check-in, a mental check-in I'm doing now, just like, okay, let's not be too stacked. Let's have more space and developing more comfortable relationship with space because I think this interest in having our own business and like killing it and smashing it and all of these things really is creating a culture of busyness that I think for black women, because we're already maxed, even just like wake up, get out of bed, it's already maxed in a way. You know, we need to be really aggressively undoing that. And so it's like creating good work practices that are going to lead to like optimization and getting to where you want, but also not to the detriment of your system. Um, So in terms of the judgment component and like the body check-in, just noticing, okay, when is my plate too full? And when the plate is too full, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And how do I reverse 
or how do I break the stress cycle? I'm Lena Goski, and her sister, um, twin sister, wrote a book called Burnout that talks about breaking the stress cycle. And really what that looks like is, you know, when you are going, 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 there needs to be a release, whether it's crying, taking a bath, you're singing, um, you're, you're exercising. Just finding ways to kind of penetrate and break that stress cycle, I think, is really key. And again, just tying it all up in a bow, noticing that your breaking point actually might be when you're at breakneck speed and really doing a lot. And it's not when you've like broken, it's just, it's the time in which you're in your full accelerating mode. Cause you know, that's a way to shut down a lot of the things that you might be feeling. Does that make sense? I know that was like um, it does. Moving in a couple different directions. Yeah. But. I mean, I looked at everyone's taking notes, nodding heads. We, we feel you. And I think that it resonates with me on a level too. I have conversations often with my best friend. We're in different kind of industries, but like very similar points in our careers. And we oftentimes have to reflect back to one another about how much it is we're actually doing and remind each other, take a break, sis. And a break isn't just like an hour, right? <laughs> like a break is like perhaps a whole day, even when you think that you can't, because you actually must. Yeah. And, you know, it oftentimes comes in the form of me messaging her, we're on FaceTime or whatever, and I'm like, I'm so tired and I don't know why. And she's like, girl, and she lists off like the 13,000 things that I've done in the past 24 hours alone. And she's like, that's why, you know? And we remind each other that like our kind of, this was a chill day or this was a chill week is still most folks like a lot. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> most intense. Yeah, because even like going on vacation, mm -hmm. you know, to a place, knowing that we live in the dominant culture where whiteness and maleness really pervade every single thing that we do there you know there sometimes isn't really like a give moment you know sometimes you're like i remember i was talking to a girlfriend of mine she's a really successful director she's black and she's shooting in canada right now and she's staying at like a really expensive hotel because that's where her agent and her you know her management company put her up and like every day when she like gets into the elevator or walks towards the elevator someone's like can i help you and she's like no i'm staying here i'm working you know but Which i mean awful but i mean that's the thing it's just like there's no time off even like when you have like reached the quote unquote kind of maybe pinnacle of your career there's still going to be these moments that just take you down or like check you in in a way that you weren't prepared for or if you're constantly preparing for that then you know where's the rest there it's just this very constant intense cycle that's uncomfortable so and so psychological yeah totally because yeah. if you're always in anticipation of some kind of like aggression yeah you know it's like we need a mental break and not just a physical break or not just a I'm gonna get a manicure and that's gonna do something for me it's really about preventative radical self-love and preventative radical self-care totally. yeah yeah and that's why meditation is so important I mean I love that you started that um, you know, the self-care Sunday with that. My, my meditation practices really saved my life again and again because it is that dead space. And it's not dead in the sense, like, nothing is happening. In fact, like, when you're regularly meditating, it's helping to create more gray matter in the brain to help deal with the deterioration that's happening with this constant stress on the system. But it is a place to re organize a lot of what feels disorganized about, you know, your day-to-day. -day. And what's interesting, too, like, I just recently started working with a new therapist and started kind of exploring somatic experiencing, which for those who aren't familiar, it's called SE, and you can look up somatic experiencing. I think the website's like traumahealing.org or something like that, but it really looks at navigating how to manage or eradicate trauma in the body through somatic exercises because so much of the trauma that we experience is somaticized, meaning it lives in the body. 
And it's been an interesting experience, again, talking about how like your breakdown might be happening when you're at breakneck speed. Because what's interesting is like when you've had a lot of trauma, myself being an extensive trauma survivor, um, your system is used to high arousal a lot all the time, mm. like everything, like TV, music, work, food, like whatever the thing is, you need to move at this really intense pace in order to not contact what you are mm. running from. And some of us will put that into a good place, whether it's like starting an amazing business or like, you know, being very like philanthropic and altruistic and helping the community, helpers, going to the helping profession in some way or another, doctor, lawyer, whatever. But what's interesting is just how all of that is manifested from trauma, which is a very interesting thing. It's almost like your productivity is a trauma response. Absolutely. So it's just trying to figure out like, mm, okay, this is cool for a certain period of time, but then when does this externally productive behavior become something that you can begin to recognize as maladaptive? Because like, no one's gonna come to you, Lauren, and be like, hey, you know what, just chill out on this expansion tour. They're gonna like, affirm. You should stay. They're, They're gonna, gonna say, oh my God, look at all the things you're doing, what are you doing next? Yeah, because you're, and also because you're helping mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. you know? You know, maybe it would be different if you like, you know, not to take anything away from anyone that makes like amazing denim or something, but maybe if you had a fashion line, it might be easier to like restructure it, but when you're at, or at least approach the idea of saying slow down. But I think with the work that you're doing and the work that I'm doing and so many other women are doing in these different spaces that is, that is curative for the community and has cultural impact, it's very hard to tell those women, take it easy, because mm -hmm. you know the work is needed. So again, it's just, I, I kind of feel like the deeper, longer conversation is trauma and really understanding like where it comes from, how it shows up, and figuring out ways on a long-term kind of basis to really pull the reins in on it. Because it just, it, it, there's so much leakage and you don't really feel it until something big happens. Absolutely, and this is another conversation I have a lot with my friends, the kind of underside of being high-achieving black women, <laughs> you know, that most folk don't really recognize, including ourselves, until there is a moment where we have to reckon with something. Um, so I kind of want to zoom out a bit and ask you for just more about how your own, you know, personal experiences navigating this this lifetime have informed the work that you're doing. Yeah. So my parents are both clinicians. My dad's a doctor. My mom's a nurse. And so I grew up in a very kind of medically orientated home. Also, they're immigrants. They moved here from Nigeria in the 70s. So I definitely had that energy in the home. Um, my mom was very much interested in the biomedical model and, like, you know, wasn't opposed to medications or things like that, but also was very into, like, holistic remedies and the power of food and, like, the power of touch and all of that and herbal remedies and that type of thing. So I grew up kind of seeing how both things could really work together. Um, when it comes to, you know, my reproductive and like sexual health work, I started off as a birth doula and was working on both ends of the spectrum insofar as I was going into the San Francisco jail when I lived in San Francisco and providing childbirth education and doula services to people that were pregnant. And then at the same time, had my birth postpartum practice and was servicing the 1% in like Noe Valley in San Francisco, like tech CEOs and their partners. But what was interesting is like, regardless of where I was, 
everybody wanted the same thing. They wanted to know how to take care of themselves. They wanted to know how to take care of their child. And I really feel that sexual and reproductive health experiences are kind of the great equalizer. When it comes to opening up Loom and kind of, you know, cutting to now, I think what's really amazing is I've always been someone that's pretty vocal about what's going on with my body or like my experiences that I'm having. And in terms of how it ties into my work now, I think that's happening on a wider level. Um, people are coming forward and talking about painful sex or fibroids or endometriosis or, you know, really horrific birth experiences um, or how they're identifying with their gender or sexuality. There's just this, like, much bigger conversation that's happening. Um, and so I think in a way, like, I have been preparing for this kind of explosion my whole life. And it's, it's a fun thing for Loom to kind of be at the forefront of thinking, okay, how do we move from this burbling conversation? And also, how do we move from fear to format? That's really kind of how I see it. So when I say fear, it's kind of like whether it's maternal mortality. I know now that it is in the zeitgeist for black women to think, okay, I'm pregnant, will I die? Like the two things are in conversation with each other, which they actually really weren't until about maybe three years ago when the stats came out and it became like a part of the conversation. Or the fact that like black women, including myself, are disproportionately affected by fibroids. Okay, how do you, what, what do I do? So how do, how do I move from the fear to the format? And so with Loom, I think we really feel that health education and education is an intervention especially for things that, you know, although the outcomes around pregnancy for black women are disturbing and startling, pregnancy in itself is a normal physiological experience. You're not sick. So for me, well, and for Loom, we really think about, okay, education. Like, the more you know about the experience, for most people, it de-escalates how anxiety-producing the experience is. And what a novel idea, right? Education around a very, like, important part of my life that I'm going through. Like, I just wanted to pause there because, like, that's just not always the case, right? When you don't have the awareness that, like, oh, I have choice around this process. Oh, I have options around this process. So that you are like, guess what? You do. (laughs) Y'all do. Yeah. And here are the myriad of options for you. 100%. Mm -hmm. And the same thing applies to periods. The same thing applies to sex, um, menopause. There are a lot of different ways to approach the experience. And and really, I think the big tie for me is because of the patriarchy, women's sexual reproductive experiences have been compartmentalized for so long. So, you know, you think menopause, you're like, okay, that's auntie, like at 60, 70, like I'll chat to you later. And then you think period, you're like, okay, I got it when I was, you know, actually most black women are POC people get it a lot earlier than Caucasian people. So maybe get your period at like 10 or 11. But I'm actually interested in all of those things speaking to each other because, you know, your sexual and reproductive experience is on a continuum. It's not a compartment. It's, we should be like wisdom sharing and having these more intergenerational conversations about these things because that's how we can protect ourselves. That's how we can, you know, have more positive experiences. Some of my favorite conversations over the past year have been with women um, that are twice my age talking about their sexual experiences. How amazing. You know? How amazing. Because I want to know. Because it's not that far away. And I think we're just so obsessed with you know, not aging and nothing really changing in a way. And I think that's that's what the limitation has been, but it feels like things are starting to shift. Finally, 
things shifted a lot for me this year, as I was telling you in the green room a little bit ago. Um, I have honestly stepped into my power around myself as a sensual and sexual being for the first time, like period. Um, I grew up in a Christian household, but it was like Christian like lifestyle, you know what I mean? Like church on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. And then I was like in the choir and then like dad's doing stuff with the deacon. You know what I mean? Like that whole thing. That's where you lived. Went to a Christian school, (laughs) everything, you know? Like when I transitioned to public school in high school, the most remarkable thing to me was that like we didn't pray before class started. Like that's how, you know? And I still to this day, you know, I'm a deeply spiritual person and borrow a lot of beautiful things from that faith tradition. But one of the things that I think I inherited that was not so great for me as a as a human as a spiritual being was a lot of um again from my experience repression around sex and sexuality and sensuality for sure and how i believe harmful that was especially also as a black woman when we already are getting all these stereotypes and projections thrown onto us right so it was just like deeply confusing and i'm only able to see all of that now you know so it's interesting like One of my closest friends that I met in grad school, so like just out of college, I went to a Catholic university, which was interesting, um, but just out of college, she, she to this day will just be like, it was so interesting, you know, when we started to be friends, because you never talked about sex. She would like try to bring up like sex and I would be like, what? No, you know? But I was just in this place where I couldn't even really talk about it, but then what was I doing? I was, I was, you know, having these sexual experiences, but wasn't able to actually process them, talk about the harm that was happening, talk about how I really felt or didn't feel, acknowledge how I felt or didn't feel. And so, you know, now about 10 years later from my like earlier sexual experiences and, and experiences around pleasure, uh, but also like the opposite of pleasure too, a lot of times I'm like now unlearning and unpacking a lot of it and it feels so liberating. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious for you, especially in working with other black women and also women in general who have been survivors, right? What are the ways that you advocate for us to just start to take care and, and release a lot of like the guilt and shame that we may carry around like not taking care before, right? Whether it was like my experience, I know it was unique to me. Everyone has different experiences, right? But I would say that most of us experience repression, shame on some level um, because I have these conversations now and it seems to be the case that most people that I'm in conversation with have, you know? Totally, yeah. Well, a couple things, I mean, I'm so proud of you for just stepping into your power around your sexuality. I mean, better now than never, right? I think, you know, something that most sex educators will say is that the most important sexual relationship you have is with yourself. Mm -hmm. So I I think my first encouragement is kind of start there. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing to say too, in terms of, okay, like I'm trying to eliminate the guilt and shame around like, why didn't I before? Um, We're human beings. We develop a lot of of our behavior out of modeling. Mm-hmm. So we need to see somebody kind of do something to feel like, okay, maybe that's something I want to try. And when like culturally everybody is not doing anything around it, then that becomes the norm. Mm-hmm. And so to have any kind of exploration, you're like, well, my mom, my aunt, my sister, like nobody's really out there saying this is okay. So, you know, every time you're like, oh, like I wish this had been sooner, or like, why couldn't I like the da da da? Just note that there was not a structure for you to feel safe to explore any of that. So even in this, you know, this discussion we're having, um, or with people like Evian or 
other POC femmes that are showcasing, you know, a positive sexual uh, experience on on Instagram, for better or for worse, like that's helpful because it's providing so modeling. You know, you're like, oh, she's kind of doing it. She seems sort of like me. Like maybe I can. So that's actually, I think that's what's interesting maybe about the next 15 to 20 years is now that we have more of an external opportunity to attach and to emulate that this will start to move more and more. I mean, yeah. there's no, it's not surprising to me that this is the year for you that that started to happen because there's just more exposure, you know, and that decreases the risk around wanting to exist a certain way. I mean, for myself, I'm kind of a weirdo in that I've always just pushed myself to talk about sex and kind of wanted to. I don't really understand the genesis of it. Um, in a way, like I've, I was, well, what's the best way to describe this? I have experienced, you know, sexual trauma in my life. And I think maybe it's a part of the antidote to that has been being vocal about it. Not the experience per se, but just like what's happening. Also growing up in a medical home, there was a lot of body talk, even though I grew up very Catholic. So definitely understand that like shame spiral kind of dynamic. But I think my curiosity always outplayed my fear. I was always just like, what if we talk about this and what's going to happen, you know? So, yeah, but I just, I really resonate with just your current trajectory because I'm on it too. And like, in terms of developing, like, what is sex positivity? I did this conversation two nights ago where we really dove into it on this panel. And I think kind of the major takeaways really were the fact that sex positivity isn't about excess mm -hmm. and like having like sex with lots of people and like, you know, trying kinky things. Mm -hmm. It actually can be about nurturing abstinence and being like, I'm good on that right now. And these are the reasons why, because of said X, Y, and Z. Or it can be having, you know, more exciting sexual experiences or with yourself, like moving into a much less tight way of masturbating. I mean, there's just so many ways of developing sex positivity, but I just think it's so important that it's subjective mm -hmm. as opposed to comparative because I shouldn't really care what anybody else is doing sexually unless it's like positively impacting me. So it's just a really interesting time where it's, I think the sexual liberation and the sexual kind of growth trajectory for people is really kind of taking off. But I think particularly as black women, we have to be so gentle on the ascent. Just running back to the same theme I had at the beginning of our conversation around like your breakdown might be happening when you're at breakneck speed. Same thing for like your sexual liberation. You might be doing like all the things, but all the things are actually you basically like screaming to yourself that you need to slow down and not being able to hear it or see it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so it's just like, it's a, it's a constant look inward, take inventory, slow down, take a little break, see what happens to your system. Because also the thing about sex too, and the thing about work, when you like your work and you enjoy having sex, they're both lighting up the pleasure center of the brain. So they're both very addictive. And so it can be very easy to want to continue with both of those things with abandon and not really want to check it. So the idea of having a break is very interesting because it's also giving your your brain like a dopamine serotonin break oxytocin break from the thing that is you know revving you um, and seeing how you feel when you don't have those things whether it's like working or sex that's really interesting thinking about again the, the psychology and I guess it's like physiology too of our bodies in reaction to pleasure and where it's rooted in and earlier I mentioned 
Adrienne Marie Brown's book, um, Pleasure Activism. Yeah, I love her. You know, and so what you were saying about intentional abstinence is really interesting because a lot of times within our culture, we think about it as like, oh, that's something that you do if maybe you have a problem Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. maybe if you're like, you know, following a certain faith tradition and you're not supposed to until you get married or whatever. But allowing yourself to also just get real mindful and real reflective around I'm engaging with these acts maybe in a way that isn't as mindful. So let me take a break. And in this break, do intentional things that also still cultivate a meaningful kind of consideration of what this practice can bring into my life. Totally. Because she had a whole chapter on that and I was like, what? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Abstinence gets a bad rap and it really can be a wonderful way to just take your power back a little bit, you know, and just really start to love your body for you as opposed to how it has been seen or objectified by a partner for better or for worse. I mean, the same thing I think applies to our sexual trajectory. You know, we definitely look at our own proficiency in sex through whomever we have been with or are currently with, as opposed to like, did I like that? Did I like that being the constant refrain? Because it really should be. Because when you do like something, more than likely the other person is going to like it too. But we, I think as women, and maybe also, again, I can only speak for myself, but as someone coming from a pretty patriarchal culture, African culture, you are there to service the man. Um, That's really what you were raised to do. And so you spend a long time kind of like chipping your way away from that. So just, again, learning to hear your own needs, feel your own drum, and like love your own body and not really worry about anyone else, even like touching, feeling it, seeing it for a moment can be really, really healing. Period. I just want to co-sign that. So get a little personal here. This summer, it was like my little hot girl summer. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like it really was though. So all y'all using that phrase, it's mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope Meg doesn't come after me. It's cool. So <laughs> um, no, but I, I was in a relationship for three years. And when I moved here, that was when it, officially ended right and at least that chapter of the relationship and this summer I started reading this book called calling in the one it's like Mm. so cheesy but it's Mm -hmm. so great Um, the title is cheesy the book itself is wonderful little workbook right and you know it's it's beyond just like I'm gonna manifest my dream partner it's really about expanding your capacity to love and be loved and in it it also has a lot of things that lit lit me up and sparked my thinking around like pleasure and intimacy Mm -hmm. and the ways that I've been navigating it or thinking about it before versus how I'm in a sense reclaiming all of it and creating new definitions of it for myself right totally yeah and so this summer I had essentially this like month-long fling with somebody and it was like all physical Mm -hmm. right so I was like I was like this feels great yes I don't need anything else from this person like I'm working I'm a busy girl like I'm out here living my life whole in myself and you're just adding to my physical pleasure and then I was like sis what are you doing I was like you because of the reflection and because I'm like self-aware and constantly being mindful I was like you know what though like you do enjoy this but for you intimacy with someone else needs to always be about every every kind of intimacy totally and I know that because I've cultivated intimacy within myself mm-hmm. and I have been doing that for a while you know like I had been the phrase that you mentioned that a lot of folk within this space talk about in terms of like the most important sexual relationship is the one you have with yourself I had stepped into that for the first time without shame right earlier this year and so it was but it was alongside me spending time with myself journaling 
going for walks. That's all intimacy. Yeah. And so I was like, sis, why would you think that you could be okay with only getting what type of intimacy from somebody else? Totally. That's not, you know? Yeah. So like, cut it off. And it's been amazing since then because it cultivated greater clarity around what it is I actually will like entertain and allow in my life. 100%. And I, you know, again, more praise to you for like having a physical relationship and having that moment because honestly all of us at some point or another like you know need to get dicked down whether it's by women or a man don't matter so you heard it here okay yeah so that's fine but i mean it's like it, i think I mean, that's why it lasted for a month let's yes. be honest but i love hearing you say that lasted for a month not five years you know what i'm saying it's like everything it's about the time and it's about the dosage you know um and it's so curious hearing you say you know, I was going on walks and like spending time by myself. I was with a girlfriend when I was in New York and she was in a long-term relationship, you know, I think from like 18 to like 25. So a pretty formative period of time. And when she got out of that relationship, she really like committed to just dating herself. And I was like, oh, I like that. And we have very similar tastes. We like the same restaurants and clothes and things. And she's like, I would just take myself out for a fancy meal. And I was like, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm into the idea of just like, you don't have to have someone else go with you. Even sometimes you'll think about, I want to go on a hike. Let me see if I can call a girlfriend or a friend to come with me. It's like, as long as you feel safe, like physically safe, you don't think we're going to go, something harmful might happen to you. Just go on a hike by yourself. You know, it's just like, I do feel like as humans, we want to be interconnected and that's important, but there are periods of time where you can just be on your own mm -hmm. and like find some beauty in that. I mean, I think I'm thinking about it more now than I have in many years, but when I was in my early 20s, I think it was like 22, 22, 20, yeah, 22, I went to India for a month by myself and you know, it was, I was obviously really young then, but it was a really amazing trip. It was so wonderful to like be my own company and like read and like journal and like do yoga and eat and not talk to anybody unless I felt like it. And so, you know, I think that solo time is so important because a therapist told me this many years ago, but like intimacy is into me, you see, right? You know, so you're, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, into this is something. Me, you and I remember see. hearing Write that, that I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. Um, but that, but even with yourself, like you looking into yourself, seeing yourself, spending time with yourself, like that's that's how you really connect. So absolutely, yeah, I love that. Wow, I mean, you said so many things. I just feel like. There are so many ways for us to also practice intimacy and it's so individualized depending on our past experiences, you know? And also with past experiences, I don't just mean traumatic because I think sometimes that's where the conversation can land, but it's like, what has lit you up since you were a kid? Mm. And like giving that mm. to yourself, mm. you know? Yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing too. I feel, and again, I always say and center myself because I don't, I'm not gonna speak for anybody else, but that idea of like what lit you up when you were a kid, I think, you know, definitely for me, I didn't really have space in my childhood to be a child. I was parentified very early. Um, so I've always been kind of like an exceptional adult mm -hmm. in the sense, like even when I was young, people were like, oh my gosh, you're so mature. And like, that's a very interesting thing because it's like, well, cause I had to be, mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't have the chance to just like chill out. And so I think in terms of like the self care and the intimacy and 
the checking in with oneself, it's like, what did you love as a child that maybe you didn't even have time for, mm -hmm. you know, um, and trying to make more time for that as an adult, as your income comes together and you're able to make more choices for yourself as like you are like in the place in your career where you can like maybe start to slow down and be like, I'm going to give myself things that I couldn't have. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when we really start to feed that inner child in a healthy way, a very intentional, healthy way, it can really like turn down the need for more destructive behaviors that are trying to answer to that part of yourself but aren't as like nurturing. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? It does make sense. And this gets me to think about this practice of reparenting too, which I've been like all about lately. I think I've heard about it from the holistic psychologist on Instagram. Love her. Oh, every <laughs> okay, day I'm just like name? triple like. Um, her name is, uh, it's a triple like. Oh my gosh. I'm terrible at remembering like names off a page, but I I, it's Dr. Something. She has yes. a PhD yes. and it's like Linda or something, but she's amazing. <laughs> yes. Amazing. I love, like, literally, I think in the past six months, she went from having like 100,000 followers to a million followers. Oh, wow. Like, it was such an accelerated. I mean, yeah, yeah. Everything I've ever seen from her resonates with me. Well, she sees like familial trauma in this very contemporary paradigm that you can really digest. You're like, yes. Yeah. And saying things like, you know, as an adult, you don't really need your parents mm -hmm. to be your parent anymore. Mm -hmm. Like you now are an adult and you need to be able to take care of yourself. And mm -hmm. like, there's just all these threads. I yeah. love that you love her too. Yeah. I mean, the spiritual reparenting thing, I know it's not like unique to her, but like you said, she presents things in a way that we can understand. Um, and, and recognizing like, you know, our parents did the best that they could, even if it wasn't that great. Yep. And so we can release any, it's a painful act, I think, for some of us, but we can release any expectations of them showing up for us now, or maybe some of them a past. So release the resentment of like, was never able to kind of cultivate this, you know, how a parent should be, you know, because I've definitely protected that, especially under my father as an adult and had to release that again and again and again. And so what is it that they were imperfect about? And how can I, as a grown ass woman mm -hmm. <laughs> give this to myself now yeah. you know with love yeah. and with intention and one of the biggest things that I've learned um, through the journey is around discipline and that speaks to what you were saying I think around healthy practices mm -hmm. right so like I'm not just going to give myself all these things because I can now because it's pleasurable or it's it feels good it's like I'm going to be mindful about the dose yep. <laughs> and the why <laughs> I'm engaging with these things um, and kind of teach myself how to show up. Cause I didn't, I learned how to show up in intimate relationships cause we all learn something, but what I learned was not healthy. And so I'm like, again, in a process right now of like redefining mm -hmm. and then walking in alignment with those definitions and seeing how it feels. Yeah, totally. And I mean, that's, that is the process, you know, it's, it's a constant, readjustment and thinking just when you have this idea that it's all going to change why I know I wish it would just be like <laughs> this is how it is forever but you know that's also the illusion of control I feel like as you I think definitely over the past couple of years I've had a nice introduction to the fact that control is just an illusion you know the idea like if I do this 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 it's going to be this and I just started reading Pema Chodron, who I love. I don't know if, if everyone's familiar. We love her, love her soul, some Pema. Um, she has a new book that's come out called Welcoming the Unwelcome. And I'm very much... I'm not reading that. Yeah. Sounds don't. too <laughs> triggering for me. <laughs> it's, it's thin. Um, but that, I mean, the Buddhist... So that's another thing. So 
I don't think I really talked about this at all, really, ever. But um, so I, I got introduced to Buddhism probably when I was 17 or 18. And when I was in college, I would go, every time I was home, when I lived in South Africa, there was a Buddhist retreat center in Ikopo. It's like out in like Natal, like Kuzunu Natal. So it's a Buddhist retreat center and I would go and do like a silent meditation retreat like every like quarter, for every like vacation. And that's where I like started to learn about a lot of this. And I really love Zen Buddhism and just insight meditation, insight practices in general, because it's about accepting that life is exquisitely painful. Like that's the baseline. Mm. And anytime you're not in touch with that, you're just not in touch. Mm. And so that it's like the, it's like letting go of the fact that everything is very painful is what makes it more painful when you get slammed you know, by death, by loss of a job, by relationship ending. And so sometimes when you're in these moments of deep grief, it is an acknowledgement of how alive you are. Mm. And you don't really realize sometimes how numb you were until you're in the pain. And so the idea is to always be in the pain, in a dosage. I'm not, it's not like you're like wiling out and you're just like, I'm in so much pain. But like you are just, you're, you're touching the perimeter so that you can, build the resilience to navigate the next thing. I can't say I've always done a great job of that, but I definitely feel as I'm getting older how profound that practice is and being able to welcome the unwelcome, like not be like, oh, if this terrible thing happens, like how am I gonna survive? Like you need to, in a way, not be preparing for it, but be open to feeling it or to being, to being around it because there is no way to avoid it. Absolutely. You know? And I hear you also speaking to something so real, which is around like our relationship to pain and what we tell ourselves, the stories that we tell ourselves around the painful things happening too, and cultivating mindfulness around that. Yeah. You know? Well, actually, I was listening to this podcast last night when I was in the bath, which is also a massive practice for me. I'm in the bath sometimes three times a day. Great. Hey. Okay. Hey, thank you. We got a couple others. <laughs> I just have to say, I, I'm obsessed with baths too. And it like started, without question. It started for me like after my grandmother passed away because she she's a Pisces and also an avid bather. And I was always like making her a bath. And then I found out my mom was always making her a bath when she was young. And so then I took it up as ritual. I have not done three times a day. It can be very nice. But hey, tell, yeah. us, tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, tell I, us. I know I'm, I'm like environment, like, oh, I'm sorry. But also I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like three times a day. Sometimes it's like I can't, it's not every, that's like maybe two or three times a month I'll have the chance. But like sometimes it's, it's definitely twice a day, at least three or four times a week. Um, I like getting in there because it's the time when my nervous system can really like push into the parasympathetic, right? Which is your rest and digest. I can't really do that for myself outside of a bath. I try really hard, but I am as a trauma survivor, my system is on rev. It's just what's happening. I'm getting a little bit better day by day, but I need to do things that will put me there. So meditation is one, bath is another. And sometimes I'll listen to podcasts, sometimes I'll watch like RuPaul's Drag Race, or sometimes I won't do anything, sometimes I'll read, but I usually put like a ton of magnesium salts in, like essential oils, and I just sit there. And I just sit for at least like 30 minutes. But when I was in there last night, I was listening to this podcast about trauma, from Mindful, which is like a, it is a Zen Buddhist publication. Actually, it is a tricycle is, I'm sorry. Mindful is just like a mindfulness-based publication. And they were talking about how 
And because as people were so averse to pain, we don't really like it that much. It can be very, you know, just casual, just not, not super into it. It can be very easy to leave people behind that are in pain and that are going through trauma because we just don't really want to contact it. So when someone's who's just dealing with someone who's passed away or someone's going through a divorce or whatever it is, you can kind of be like, oh, like, I don't, I, and not because you don't love that person. You're just like, this is really intolerable and I don't even really want to have exposure to it. But I think the practice of getting more comfortable with pain is also being more comfortable with pain in general, even the pain that doesn't belong to you, because I think that's how we create more balance is being open to hearing and feeling someone else's stuff without feeling like, oh, I'm gonna perish mm -hmm. through like being exposed to this. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the grief is not contagious, the divorce is not contagious, like all these things, you know? But it was really interesting because I'd, I'd never really thought about how we're so trying hard to like not feel anything bad that it can really like push us away from people who really need the support and need the help that are going through something bad. And the generative result of choosing to say yes to engaging in those kinds of exchanges with people, you know? like just thinking about grief, right? So when my grandmother passed away, I was in go mode. I wasn't in like, um, and I've since realized that any moment that is signifying the start of grief in my life, that actually is my my first reaction, right? Is like, what do I do? Not like, how am I feeling? But after that, thank God I was in therapy at the time. My therapist was like, are you inviting your friends to the funeral? And I was like, what, people do that? Like, I didn't think of inviting my friends. And then she basically forced me to because I didn't want to. And everybody that I asked came. And it was like out of state, you know. And I will always remember that. And they all received something because they've told me from that moment. They got to witness me in a different way amongst my family. Like, everybody was there. They got to see the depth even more so of my connection to my grandmother, which they always heard me talk about. So it's like all these things that we can unconsciously close ourselves off to from, like, saying no to feeling and deepening and the vulnerability around totally. all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So um, you have a book. It's phenomenal. I've gifted it to, like, two or three of my friends who have had babies now. <laughs> and I haven't read it yet. You told me, you said. When you're ready, it's not, you don't even need to read it. I, I think what's great to, is to read it earlier than actually reading it when you're pregnant. Yeah. Because I think it's all That's about getting said. the information prior yeah. before you even really need it. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a couple of mommies in the room. We do. They're so cute. So cute. Um, so, you know, the, even the title, Nurture, I think immediately of how many of us as black women, as women of color, who might resonate with what it means to nurture others, right? Friends, family, coworkers, children, whatever. Um, how many conversations have you had and what have those conversations look like with black women who have picked up your book and thought about the ways that they also can nurture themselves in really profound ways? Well, I think probably the easiest way to answer that question is that we are a minority, right? And so I think the conversations I have with black women about my book is that it was so nice to turn the book over and see your face in the corner of the book as the person that wrote it, if they didn't know who I was, to have a book written by another woman of color, written by another black woman. And I think, especially in the style that I've written the book, you know, it's a conversation that's typically written by white women for white women. And then we come in and we're like, this applies to me too, so I'm going to like do this. But it really was written by a black person, by myself, for my community and beyond, you know? And I think, I think that's a really powerful thing because so much of these kind of plant, holistic 
protocols around labor and delivery and pregnancy were created by indigenous women and then from there created by African women. And so I think centering us in the conversation and centering us in the literature I think is so important, especially with what's happening around the maternal mortality component. So yeah, I mean, the title, it's funny, I honestly can't even remember how I came up with it, but uh, it really was, I wanted the word to evoke a certain feeling Mm -hmm. and encourage people to do that thing during pregnancy. And so, yeah, I think that kind of is the circular conversation is just like, I'm glad to have something like this in the space. And I only hope there will be more and more black women, more and more women of color writing around the reproductive and sexual health experience because we do need, um, we need more of it. There should be tons of books like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's speak it into existence. I'm sure there's some authors in here thinking about writing. Please. I mean, there's so much. Yeah. So much space. Um, So how are you envisioning yourself expanding in 2020 and beyond? We're stepping into a new decade, new energy, leaving some things in this prior decade that we don't want to carry forth or repeat or whatever. Like, how do you envision yourself expanding? I think... I really want to have a nice, wide range of emotions. I think, like I talked about at the beginning of our conversation, in this time, right, or up until this moment, what I have done is go, 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 create, 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 which I want to continue doing, but I want to feel everything as I'm moving through it. And I think I've done a very good job of not feeling a lot And that was basically, I think, what I was taught to. I mean, having two parents, both in the medical profession, you know, for anyone that's been to med school or knows someone that has been, or nursing school, there's like an intensity and a rigor that means like no feelings, but just get it done. And I think I really want to flip that operating style. I also want to make more time for travel, like just a little bit more and nothing too major, like just getting out and touching and feeling the world in a different way. Um, and more time in nature. I really, it's like, it's a crazy thing to think like, oh, your, your nervous system responds differently in nature. And I think as black women, and especially for me, I know I need more time in that space. Um, so those are, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Just more so emotion, more travel, more nature. I love it. Yeah. I love all, and I can support with at least one of those things. Cause you know, I live in Marina Del Rey. You can come visit me on the ocean. I can, and we can take a beach walk. Trees. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. See, intimacy between friends, too. Yeah, we need to talk about that. 100%. Wow. And the first piece, what did you say for the first? Oh, the first thing is um, more like a wider range of emotions. Yes. That is such a theme today. Yeah. Okay, and you know, today is a new moon in Scorpio. Yes, ma'am. So here we are in our feelings, Mm -hmm. right? I read that this morning and I was like, "Mm." yeah, because I'm I'm, like, I'm waking up and I'm like, oof. Yeah. And I'm luteal right now, too. So I'm in that phase of my cycle where, you know, everything is much sharper. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. like, and then the moon's coming in. And so, yeah, a lot. feel you. A lot is rising. And we're talking about, like, sex and sexuality and all of the related things in the sign that's about all of those things. Like, we didn't, pl- I told them earlier, we didn't plan this. Nope, we did not. Yeah, the feelings <laughs> thing has been big for me this past year. Really allowing myself to feel more than just happy and anything around happy, which is like one one millionth of who I am and what I embody. And really 
like figuring out in a messy way what that even means. So it's like, okay, I recognize that I wasn't doing that, wasn't allowing myself, um, and probably at that time didn't have the tools also to even allow myself to feel those things. And then stepping into the practices that helped me, mm -hmm. right? Um, totally. A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine made a comment she and her partner are like, you know, navigating a breakup and she was frustrated because she was talking about how her partner is not really very emotive in their relationship and that her partner will basically, you know, reveal that like in her family dynamic, her parents never asked, how are you feeling? And in that moment with my friend telling me that I was like, I don't think I did either. You know, and it's not, at least for me, it wasn't because my parents didn't care how I was feeling. They probably didn't at the time have access to also asking themselves the same questions. You know, you love others, how you love yourself and how you've been loved. So now it's like, oh, wow, I'm at this stage in my life where I'm asking myself the question first. And then I'm able to tap into those feelings and use them in a way that's really um, healing. Totally. You know, so um, that's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. What do you want to leave us with from this conversation? <sighs> I feel like I've gone in so many different directions. So I think the most concise thing to say would just be to just be gentle and just accept the fact that this is a, we are in a very hard time in general. Actually, I'm going to trace that back. My brain just went like, as I said, hard time. It was like, bye, <laughs> come back. Um, also, I think dissociation is such an interesting thing for folks that have had trauma, like how easy it is for you to just like check out and then come back when certain things come up. Um, but just to say, to be really gentle on yourselves and we are in a very difficult time and that rest is a powerful tool. Um, a nap, sleeping in, it doesn't mean you're not getting anything done. I just think that like rest is so important for us right now. So just get more rest so that you can go out and do other things. Very basic. That. I'm an eight and nine hour asleep girl and people think I'm lying when I tell them and I'm like, no. No, that's what you need. It's yeah, it's what I need and it's when I thrive and when I get less than that, I can immediately feel it. So I also wanted to give a shout out to two of our partners for this experience today. So you all hopefully walked by the little milk and honey setup over there. It's so cute. So I first encountered milk and honey when I was at South by Southwest two years ago. They're a really beautiful local spa in Austin, but they also have products. They're all oh. non-toxic. I'm the biggest fan on non-toxic skincare. And they really pride themselves on providing hyper clean products. So it's like, you can be guaranteed that it's non-toxic. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, all the things, right? And that is their intense hydration cream, which I really like. It's really great. They also have a code good vibes that you can use to get $5 off $25 purchase or more, which is a pretty good deal. So check that out. And then the other sponsor that I wanted to shout out is Foria. So I have them up Love here. Foria. <laughs> I always get a little like hee hee when I yeah. talk about Foria. <laughs> I'm like, ha ha. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's good. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So Foria is a phenomenal company as well. And this is their product Awaken, which they deem their hero product. It's like what everybody loves. It's a CBD infused arousal oil and it's also non-toxic and all natural. Right. See, I was chuckling too. <laughs> right. And um, it's great. It has full spectrum CBD in there, which is really important for the body, not just like something isolated from the plant, but the full thing. And then also different botanicals in there like Kava Kava, like it just smells good. 
honestly, it's really great. So check that out, especially if you're someone who, like me early this year, was stepping into reclaiming my body for me. And so it's like, I'm going to try this with me, have a whole little experience, you know what I mean? And figure out what feels good to me in my body. So they also are offering 20% off of any purchase. So you use the code expansion tour, the number 20. And they also have other products, but this is like the winner, winner, chicken dinner, honestly. Oh, you say winner, winner, chicken dinner? I yes. feel like no one else says that enough. I love that. <laughs> yes. So, Foria is actually also local to LA, which is dope. Um, Erica, would love to hear more about how we can all stay connected with you mm-hmm. beyond this experience. I'm on the gram. <laughs> um, this, this is just my full name, so Erica Chitty Cohen. Loom is this is Loom on Instagram. I'm not on the gram that much, just out of a mental health decision. It's just too much energy when you feel all the things. But yeah, I I do check my DMs and I teach at Loom. Actually, my sex class is coming up in two weeks. I've heard very good things about this. People are positive about it. Yeah, yeah. But it's that's a good way to connect and feel Loom and. Um, get a chance to spend more time with me but I'm so grateful for this this is really wonderful and just so nice to talk and like feel everybody in the room and I'm just so glad everyone came out on a Sunday it's beautiful so all of you just like take a moment where you're at another moment to reflect on what you experienced today right meditation the talk what is one thing that you want to bring forward into your week and the rest of this year and how that thing is related to expanding right? And tell one person before you leave. That's going to be your last assignment Um, to tell one person. I think there's just so much power that we've seen today and connecting and being open and being vulnerable with one another, how healing and how generative that is. But I want to again acknowledge Erica. So let's give her a hand. Your wisdom. What did I call you? What did I call you at the beginning that you said you were going to use? Ooh, uh, uh, what a was wise it? Rich, gift? Rich, something? rich, rich gift. Rich gift. Rich gift. I mean, that is like... <laughs> Erica, the rich gift that we have. But seriously, truly, you are a rich gift, and I'm really grateful. Um, yeah. Just so happy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you all for coming, and thank you to The Wing for hosting this experience as well. Thank you. Black Girl and Ohm creates space for women of color to breathe easy. Thank you so much to India Jordan, our audio engineer who made sure today's episode sounded fantastic. Thanks to Kali B for the amazing music at the top and the end of the show. Valerie Titus Glover, your continual support of our podcast through digital strategy, getting up our podcast audio descriptions and more is so forever something that we cherish. Our community, wow, y'all are so phenomenal. We couldn't do this show without you. And I want to encourage all of you who are super fans of the Black Girl on Podcast, the guests on our show, and the topics that we cover to head on over to www.patreon.com slash blackgirlandohm. You'll find out how you can get access to exclusive clips, bonus audio, and more behind the scenes of what we have going on here, as well as the ability to chime in and give your input to what you want to see here on the Black Girl on Podcast. So head on over and check it out. Thanks, y'all.